Hi. I'm Kelly Harlock. And I'm Sasha Kelly. And you're listening to That Classical Podcast. Welcome, everybody, once again to the show. And this month, we are talking about two Italian masters of the operatic Mm -hmm. genre. And I don't know about you, Kelly, but Mm. I think we picked them because we just see their names everywhere. And we both went, do we know anything about these two people? Exactly. (laughs) It's like there's one piece that we've heard like over and over again from each one, but actually we know nothing of their lives. So we were like, let's share. Yeah. Two of those names that you look at and you think, is it a cheese, a dessert, a pasta, or a composer? Actually, that is a great <laughs> quiz that we should probably put somewhere on <laughs> the internet. Make it. But the first composer we have, or is it the first cheese? We'll never know. Uh, on the roster is a chap called Leon Cavallo, and I'm going to do a cheeky 60-second biography. Sasha, is the clock, the timer, at the ready? Yes, it's ready, Kelly. Okay. So are you ready? I am. Are you steady? Mm-hmm. <gasps> Ruggiero Leon Cavallo was born in April 1857 in Naples and started studying music at the conservatory there in 1866. During his adolescence, he supported himself by giving cafe concerts, piano and singing lessons. In his early 20s, he moved to Cairo with his uncle and started teaching piano to the brother of the new Khedive. Note to self, the Khedive was basically the ruler of Egypt. But after revolts there in 1882, Leon Cavallo legged it to France and started living it up in Paris as a teacher, accompanist and kind of instructor for musicians performing in cafes, apparently. Married one of his students, what a cliche, in 1895, became inspired by French romantics and wrote his symphonic poem La Nuit de Mai in 1886. It was good and people liked it and now he had some street cred. He legged it back to Italy to start a career as an opera composer. And fun fact, he was also the librettist of his own operas. But he also kept had to keep teaching because his first operas were crap. And then in 1890, he saw Mascagni's Cavalieria Rusticana and was like, Verismo Opera, that's where it's at. More on that later. So he wrote Pagliacci, which premiered in 1892 and everyone bloody loved it. Sadly, he would never quite get out of the shadow of Pagliacci. He wrote a different Tem- Poem, uh, which didn't go down well to Puccini's because it had premiered a year before and his later operas were a bit fine but quickly forgotten. Started writing operettas and was an early supporter of music recordings, writing songs like La Matinata for the world famous tenor Enrico One Caruso, minute. died in uh, Tuscany on the 9th of August 1919. Oh, okay. So you over? were four seconds over. Okay, but please allow it. I just let the information Disqualified. In. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, sorry, I can't, can't be my co-host anymore. You're fired. I'm so sorry. Oh, goodbye, everyone. It's been great. Um, but no, sorry. I just wanted to get across. I think I got stuck when I was trying to say that basically mm. he wanted, he so wanted Sasha to be this opera legend. And like, it turned out that he would be for one of them. Mm. But he wanted, like any composer would, he wanted that success like over and over again. A bit like Ravel, I guess, yeah. like who hated Bolero and kind of wanted to get out of that shadow. Leon Cavallo didn't just want to be known for Pagliacci, um, but mm. none of his other operas kind of cut the mustard. Including, did you hear me mention La Boheme? Because- yeah, I, was, <laughs> I heard a few things that came through from that, which was like, he seemed to want to try, try, try again. Indeed, and so. that obviously worked with one, but not necessarily ever again. And then also, well, I was trying to come up with an author equivalent, but yeah, also taking a swing at La Boheme well, is kind of well, a big swing. Just <laughs> wait till you hear this. Because I, lo- I saw this and I was like, that is, that's bizarre and cheeky and a bad idea. But I looked into mm. what happened and apparently this is this is the story. So... In 1892, Leon Cavallo started working on an opera based on um, Scène de la Vie Bohème, a set of stories about bohemian life by Henri Murger. And like he mentioned this in passing to Puccini, who was oh. his friend. And then oh. surprise, surprise, a couple of months, a couple of months later, Puccini was like, 
I will now write this exact same opera. <laughs> and there was oh, this that's big, low. isn't it? And there was this big public spat. And Puccini wrote to the paper being like, let him compose and I will compose. The public will judge. This is like, quote, what he said to the paper. And judge they did, Sasha. But the interesting thing is, at first mm. people preferred Leon Cavallo's La Boheme. Oh. So like that was like the hit at the time. But I think Do you know what this years... reminds me of? Oh my God, tell this me. This reminds me of when it was like 2009 or something. Okay. When Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached came out films. within six which, months of each other. Which was the one with Justin Timberlake? Exactly. Which one was the one with <laughs> Ashton Kutcher? Which one's the one with <laughs> Natalie Portman? And which one's the one with Mila Kunis? We'll never That's know. That's for everyone to decide. It's This is this is basically that. It's exactly right. Um, <laughs> Except although, in the 1800s. Okay, I'm not, great. Although cool. I think the difference with Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached is that there's no clear winner. There's no winner. Nobody wins. Because Culture hasn't <laughs> hasn't declared them both masterpieces oh, of the genre. Well, you yeah. know, speak for yourself, Kelly. I I watched Friends with Benefits on Friday night and it was the perfect thing to accompany my TV dinner. So 10 out of 10. 10 and also, 10. speaking of 10 out of 10, shall we talk about the one thing that Leanne Cavallo did that did stand the <laughs> test of time? Yes, please. Um, yeah, Pagliacci, right? It is. Let's talk murder clowns. Let's talk Pagliacci. <laughs> You know I... how to speak my language, Kelly. <laughs> Murder, Murder clowns. <laughs> I mean, now everyone's interested. Everyone's ears are perked up. That's um, true. That's I true. did. I did mention in the sixty seconds that Leon Cavallo went to see another composer, Mascagni's opera called Cavalleria Rusticana. At which point, mm -hmm. Leon Cavallo was definitely not making it right. He was not, you know, thriving <laughs> at this point. Okay. But he was really taken by this new. Verismo, word of the day, Ooh. style of this opera. And I cannot for the life of me remember whether we've spoken about Verismo opera on this podcast before. Um, if we have, soz, but I'm going to talk about it again because I've <laughs> forgotten what it is. Um, just rehash it. Just for let's me. rehash yeah. it. Let's summarize. So the Verismo movement, basically, in opera came from the literary movement of the same name. And it basically mm -hmm. sought to portray the world with greater realism. So, you know, the story of a Verismo opera wasn't about gods or myths or, you know, a king or a queen. It was about real people going through real things, usually romantic, vengeful dramas, pretty much Love Island, but with singing. So, I was going to say, has MAFS Australia got to <laughs> yes, British Shores yet? Yeah. It's married got to British Shores sight. and I've told all of my American friends to also start watching it. So, And I'll tell everyone <laughs> on this podcast to start watching it. It's great. Yeah. It's basically Married at First Sight. But, you know, for example, Cavalieri Rusticana is set in this little village in Sicily. It's about love and life and people making mistakes. And it's a lot more real than, say, the magic flute, which is about bird people and big snakes. <laughs> so... You know, Leon Cavallo was like, okay, real talk, real stuff. Uh, mm. And he, he used genuinely a real incident from his own childhood to create the story oh, wow. of Pagliacci. I didn't know that. Like, get this. So, a clown? A, ma a mad well, murderous clown killed people? It wasn't quite the mad murderous clown. In his but childhood? It was, it was something okay. close. So his dad was a judge, okay? Leon Cavallo's dad was like a courtroom oh. judge during Leon Cavallo's childhood. And he had presided over this really intense murder case involving one of their um, their family servants, basically, in which their servant had been brutally murdered by 
another guy and his brother, the, the other guy's brother, because they were all, I think all, getting frisky with a local village girl and things obviously got heated and messy. But anyway, somehow this all translated to murder clowns. And let me tell you, here's the rundown <laughs> of how we get there. So, okay, now strap in because this is the this is the synopsis okay. of the opera, and Ready. I apologise in advance. I've actually genuinely tried to simplify it as much as I can, but <laughs> there's just no way to do that sometimes. I was as say, I'm sure, I'm we sure all I've seen it, but I can't remember anything except the famous scene. But anyway, keep well, going. I mean, Sorry. strap yourself in, babe. Strap yourself in. All right. So there's a comedy troupe. Okay, that's the headline. There's a comedy troupe. Canio is the head of the troupe. He's married to a woman called Nedda, who is shagging someone else. And then there's mm. also two other guys. One of them's called Tonio. One of them's called Pepe. Okay, that's the, just remember that as the kind of core of this. So the troupe arrives at this village. They're putting on a comedy play at sunset, but Tonio doesn't want to go for a drink with the troupe beforehand. So the villagers are like, oh, Tonio's staying behind. And so is your wife, Canio. So maybe they're going to have an affair. And Canio is like, look, I may act like some jokey, foolish husband, but actually, if someone makes a move on Nedda, I'm going to get super angry, step off, go away. <laughs> um, and so then, but then it's kind of really awkward, like forced laughing and joking. And he kind of says oh. he doesn't actually suspect Tonio or Nedda, but it's, but also Nedda's a bit like freaked out by how angry he got in that moment. Yeah. So, but then, so you know, bit, it's a bit like, uh oh, it's uh, there's, is he there's some ominous. I don't know. Exactly. Mm. But then, you know, surprise, surprise, it turns out Tonio is actually in love with Nedda. So it was all oh, true. Okay. Um, but Nedda doesn't like Tonio. Okay. Nedda's already shagging a random villager called Silvio, completely separate. Um, oh, a okay. Ruckus, a ruckus ensues, as it often does mm -hmm. in opera. Tonio overhears. Silvio, the, the person she's shagging, and Nedda planning to elope after the performance, okay? Oh. He, he runs and tells Canio, who's Nedda's husband. Canio tries to catch them in the act, but Silvio has run away before Canio can see his face. So Canio knows that Nedda's kind of having an affair, but he doesn't know who it's with at this stage. Okay, so okay. Understandably, Canio, very upset by this. He threatens Nedda mm -hmm. with a knife and he's all like, ah! But then his troop are like, yo, Canio, we've got a hilarious play to put on. Better get ready. And that's the mm. end of act one. Okay? okay. So then act two, the troop put on the show. All right. And it's this like sickening echo. It's like the play within the play um, of yeah, Hamlet. Okay. Right? It's like an echo okay. of what's happening in real life about this wife planning to elope with her lover. And all of this becomes too much for poor old Canio, whose character, by the way, is called Pagliaccio, which, which literally means like clown or buffoon um, mm. in Italian. Mm. So he breaks down basically on stage in this performance and he's like turns to Nedda and he's like, who is this person you are getting down and dirty with? And uh, Nedda's, yeah. Nedda's like, the show must go on. She's like ever the professional and she's replying I don't know what you're talking about, Pagliaccio, like on mm. stage as if nothing's wrong. And then he, Canio sings a song about being sad and the audience doesn't realise it's not part of the play. But then mm. he's like, he turns to Nedda and he's like, no, 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 I'm being serious. Who is this guy? And Nedda finally gives in, but she says, like, I'll never tell. And the audience kind of realises the play is over. And then Silvio, uh, the lover in real life, come, like, tries to come to the stage 
then Canio is like, oh no. And then he kills Neda with a knife. And then oh, Silvio God. attacks Canio. And Canio also kills Silvio. And then it's just the end. And, and then there's this announcement that's like, the comedy is finished. And then that's the end. <laughs> Sorry, that's it's really end. inappropriate that I just laughed at that part of the play. But like, I know, I know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, like, because it's, you know, you say poor old Canio, but like very quickly, it's like mm, Canio should have gone to therapy or Canio should have Canio like, maybe to deal with his anger. about his feelings. Yeah. yeah. Canio yeah. shouldn't be picking exactly. up knives and stabbing people. That's not the answer. Yeah, it's, it's all just gone mm. quite wrong. And that's the story. That is, that's the killer clowns. And the aria that I wanted to play today is is probably the most famous um, mm. aria from the whole thing. It's from the end of Act One. So if you remember, when Canio has just found out that his wife mm. is cheating on him, right? And he's mm-hmm. got this knife and he's like, I'm so angry. But then all of his mates are like, we have to do this play, so get over yourself. Yeah. And he's left alone to get ready. And he sings this song, Vesti la Jubba, put on the costume. And it's it's just heartbreaking, and yeah. it's like it 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 reminds me of those days, Sasha. Those like bad days, which I'm you know I'm just assuming we've all had, where you look <laughs> in the mirror. I assume I'm going to assume. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you look in the mirror and you're like, what an idiot! Like what a joke! Mm. Looking back at mm. me, um, you know we've all had those. And yeah. this is like the song version of that, in which Kanye is like, put on your costume put on the show force yourself to do it you're a clown aren't you you clown so act like it Aww. and you know put on your costume make it make them laugh make them laugh you know <laughs> and um turn your heartbreak into a big joke laugh it off basically Aww. and it's just okay. just i can't even describe it let's listen have a bit of pav on your earphones let's do it Word to the wise, don't listen to that <laughs> on a rainy day, on a bus, when you've just been dumped. <laughs> don't do it <laughs> because you'll cry in public. <laughs> just but maybe like it'll I did. be exactly what you want to listen to. Because <laughs> you'll be like, oh, Liam Cavallo understands my feelings. I truly felt like a connection with Pavarotti like I'd never felt before on that day. Did you listen? to that when you got dumped Kelly I did no I actually did and don't do it I mean it is just the perfect heartbreak piece because like it is like Pavarotti and uh, as we were listening to that Sasha just said he's milking it (laughs) 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 and you know what he is he did like Pavarotti did but I actually have just never felt so much emotion um in in like two lines of an Mm. aria in that way 
And yeah. you know, he's he's saying Ridi and the, that rolled R's Ridi um Palacio, you know, laugh, you clown, you know, laugh through your heartbreak and it's just like yeah, you know, especially because like Sasha again. I'm gonna assume I'm gonna go for the assumption again, but like I would say you and I are people who want to make people laugh. You know, it's like we try, we we <laughs> want to be laugh. make them yeah. laugh. You know, we try and be funny, and like sometimes, yeah, you know, the it's like the class clown sometimes has a really sad day, but often yeah, that's you, true. you don't want to let people know. Like you still always want to be the clown, and you you know yeah. you, you do. You, I'm sure we've all had moments where we've put on a smile when actually we are super super upset so that's a really quite a poetic way of looking at it kelly yeah i mean but it's that's that really is what nice. that's <laughs> but it's really <laughs> sad like, really? yeah i was gonna say like controversially i find that when i am really sad putting on my makeup and like you know having a bit of me time making myself look good actually makes me feel better so, so maybe actually that was maybe what actually um, Canio was Pagliacci. doing, just a glow up. <laughs> he just needed to like change his perspective and be like, you Put know on what? Clown makeup. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe my heart is broken, but also maybe I'm fabulous. Like maybe that's. Maybe he's born with it. <laughs> maybe it's. Murder. Murder. Cloud murder. <laughs> this and is that, really dark. That, okay. my friend, is Pagliacci. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. I do think that's the best part of it. Although I mm-hmm. do suggest you go ahead and listen to the whole thing. It's, you know, one of the first Verismo operas that was written. Yeah. And I was also going to say, I've seen it a couple of times done as a double bill with Cavalier Aristocana. And it's a really great night out because they're both quite short. So <laughs> you go to the first half and it's like full story opera yeah. done, dusted. Yeah. Interval, time for ice cream, time yep. for cheeky champers. Strawberry. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. second half, second opera, full story, done in an hour and a half. And at the end, you're like, I I've see. seen two things for the price okay. of one. Great night out. What a double what whammy. A laugh. It's yeah, bog off. So, Buy one, get one free. Yeah. It's it's just a really great night. So if it's ever showing near you like, and you are tempted to go, I would hi- highly recommend that you do so. That classical podcast. Next. Now, you may remember from the frenzied 60-second biography that Leon Cavallo was a bit of a pianist. He played in cafes, he taught piano to the brother of the Khedive of Egypt, but he was also in later life an accompanist and a kind of artistic director to musicians in Paris who played in cafes. Sounds like a very weird job. But I was like, look, he must have written some little, some little ditties, you know, some cheeky mm, yeah. etudes or something. You know, he was at the piano so much. Like, what has he done with his life yeah. at the piano? What and it turns out, <laughs> turns out he did write some stuff. But my God, it is slim pickings, as the saying goes. Uh, um, you know, you want information about when he wrote things or why he wrote things? I don't have that. All I can tell you uh, is that this man loved to write a waltz on the piano. I'll tell you that his piano works will probably not knock your socks off, maybe not even one sock, Mm. but I still just wanted to explore this side of him because I wanted to share it. Because, you know, sadly, he never reached the, the heights of Pagliacci again in terms of opera. Everything was very middling. You know, there's nothing that really sticks out. And I thought, you know, as I said, this guy spent time at the piano. He probably had a really strong connection with it. 
And I wanted to hear that voice, you know, that side of his like composer yeah. voice. So <laughs> I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> uh, I've chosen a piece called Gondola. Sweet name. And oh, I was going, name. yeah, I was going through these like various, very bizarre piano works albums. And this one jumped out at me as being the most kind of, I don't know how to describe it, like natural kind of chill. Um, mm. Not just like dum 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 bum, you know, waltzy kind of, <laughs> you know, bit okay. annoying. It was the ni- it was the one that you liked the best out of exactly, all of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the I least wondered, cliched. Exactly, the least cliched. I wondered sort of where he was in life when he wrote this because it sounds quite carefree. And my favorite part is actually the end, not because it's ending, but because it sounds almost kind of jazzy to me. And I found oh. that quite fascinating. And I have no clue when he wrote it, so don't ask me, Sasha. Don't ask. All right. But, okay. Um, I I just think there's something in this that I liked, and it made me think that there was something else in there, you know, other than just a semi-failed opera composer. Yeah. And I just think we should just we should just take a listen. Let's give it a go. All right. Hit me. So, Sasha, what are your thoughts? I quite liked it. it yeah. I mean, I can see what you mean. It's not going to change my life. It's not going to change not, it. Mm-mm. I'm not running out onto my balcony, like, blasting it on that. my... Like, <laughs> get a load of this. Um, exactly, yeah. No, nah, but um, it's quite sweet. And I think it definitely, for me, sounds like it's a precursor to Debussy and, like, those French composers. It does, doesn't it? Who yeah. started writing in that really, like, delicate, impressionistic Dreamy. kind of way. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm, I definitely mm-hmm. feel like, you know, he's been on a gondola, that's for sure. Sounds he's like certainly a gondola. been on a gondola, indeed. So, And also, I just yeah. thought, what a, what a lovely contrast to, like, a bombastic, oh my huge God, tenor yeah. aria. And then this, you know, he clearly had that, like, softer side that maybe didn't show because he was trying so hard to to be the bombastic opera composer yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and i just thought actually this was really lovely because it is just this kind of quiet calm dreamy little moment, moment. Yeah. yeah in his in his life god knows what he was actually doing maybe he was bloody miserable but um <laughs> yeah i mean that is Leon Cavallo. i have to say that having explored him you know, he's not, I don't think he is the composer to change your life, but I think the highlight really is Pagliacci, Vesti La Giubba, and tenors for years to come. <laughs> we'll roll those R's <laughs> and, and, and smash and that And those high notes, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, an, it's a really impressive song, like both lyrically and in terms of the melody and the, the amazing heights that the singer reaches. And 
yeah. yeah, just, I guess, go and explore Pagliacci a bit more. And, you know, if you find any lovely little tidbits, because I couldn't, I did, I promise, I searched for orchestral moments and there just really weren't any without singing. So if you find any that are mm. um, worth sharing, let me know. <laughs> that classical podcast. Well, Kelly, I'm bringing back the pasta, cheese or composer game. Okay. And I'm, I mean, I'm giving it away because the person I'm going to talk about is Vincenzo Bellini. Um, who that's a cocktail, actually. It is a cocktail. So <laughs> okay. when you're Googling Bellini, you know, it's a treasure trove of information. <laughs> oh some useful, some useful for another time. Some delicious. But- yeah. <laughs> some all of it welcome <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i'm going to tell you a little bit about him so shall i start off with a 60 second bio i wish you would are you ready <laughs> oh i think so are you steady oh go vincenzo Salvatore carmelo francesco bellini was born on the 3rd of november 1801 in catania at that part of at that time, a part of the kingdom of Sicily. Rumour has it that he could sing an aria at 18 months, that he began studying music theory at two and the piano at three. By the age of five, he could apparently play marvellously. This same source says that Bellini's first five pieces were composed when he was just six. And at age seven, he taught Latin, taught himself Latin, modern languages, rhetoric and philosophy. What can't be argued, though, is that he was pretty smart. And although his family weren't well off, he managed to get funding to go to Naples to further his education. He studied the words of the Neapolitan school of Mozart and Haydn, not contemporary work. He wrote a final piece at university that was so successful, La Scala commissioned something from him. It was an immediate success. He moved to Milan in 1827, wrote a series of operas. All of them did pretty well. The three big hits were La Sonambula, Norma and Ipuritani. The final years of his life was briefly spent in London and then in Paris and he really wanted to find a wife and then be supported by a dowry and then made a mark on the opera scene in Paris but instead he died on the 23rd of September 1835 of acute inflammation of the intestine and he was buried in Paris oh (sighs) five seconds over now you're fired (laughs) both of us giving you that notice Um, I've got to correct myself in arrears Okay. Um, because I just can't speak fast. Um, at seven, he was taught Latin, modern languages, and philosophy. He didn't, he didn't teach, teach himself. himself. No, but no, well, that I was mean, wrong. That still sounds. He still sounds like a desperate overachiever, even without he that. Absolutely, sounds like what a, a little bit precocious, a little mm. bit like that kid in the class that you'd be like, of course, Vincenzo, Salvatore, Carmelo, Francesco Bellini did that. <laughs> Like, he's the kind of kid he would tell the teacher that they'd forgotten to give the class homework. That's the kind of kid that he was. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so he died when he was only 34. Oh, okay. So he didn't live very long. Yeah, and he was a bit of a dandy. If you look at pictures of him, he (laughs) was beautiful. Oh, wow. Absolutely beautiful. And, you know, I might, I mean pop psychology or you know pop history here but it was only when he was like 32 that he was like I guess I better get married and his main reason for wanting to get married was that he'd marry someone with a dowry that might support him composing classic so just reading between the lines there I'm mm-hmm. not sure that he was fond of the company of women of or women. maybe fond of Intriguing. the company of anyone mm-hmm. I'm not sure mm-hmm. but um it just didn't seem to be high on his list of priorities maybe he wasn't fond of relationships and he just wanted to exactly know, be in those yeah. brothels and gamble and, and away the dowry and you know who yeah knows. i feel like that he definitely had commitment 
commitment issues. Commitment and, you know, issues. <laughs> luckily, <laughs> life took care of that for him. Uh, he had lots of really close friends who are also composers. So I think Lit- uh, Chopin was um, a very good friend of his. Um, he was incredibly successful. So unlike Donizetti, who wrote 30 operas before he had one hit with his Ooh, Anna Bolena. That's got um, Yeah, Bellini was basically famous from Muni. So he wrote this this kind of finishing opera. So like when he was studying, his teacher was like, oh, maybe you should write something and then we can invite everyone to come see it. And um, that's how he got the La Scala commission. And Wagner loved Bellini. So before this time, you had Rossini, who was just like kind of writing operas in 10 days and just had a formula. (laughs) Yeah. And he'd be like, like, give me some words. Here's a whole lot of notes. Here's Uh an overture. Um, Here's a piece. Done. Next one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I am simplifying it a bit. But Bellini (laughs) was thought of as the first person to really marry text and drama and music in this Italian school. And so he took like a really long time to write things. And he really, really slaved away. He was known as like the melody king. Like he was all about melody. So he was like, does it have a great melody? Does it have a tune you can sing? So that's kind of what he was regard highly regarded for. That's basically your spark notes of Bellini. Um, so I picked two different operatic moments. And the first one is Casta Diva from Norma, which I think you will have probably heard have heard before. So why don't we have a listen? And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the ridiculous plot of Norma. Can't wait. having a wonderful day of opera treats um is how i feel today and i also i'm thinking that people may recognize that because it's been used in a few adverts and things like that i feel like it's in a perfume advert (laughs) if people are wondering where they recognize (laughs) it from um but no it's a it's a gorgeous gorgeous aria and i think yeah that performance in particular is oh so beautiful so it's from an opera called norma and norma is the title character and basically the story is that she is a high priestess and this particular aria comes at a moment when she's like basically praying so it's a moment of reflection it's a moment you know she's praying for peace and um peace on earth as there is in heaven blah 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 got it yeah basically it's set in gaul 50 BC and she is a priestess of the people who live there in Gaul and she's in love with a Roman consul who's been sent there as like an envoy got it so they're the people who are coming to like kind of attack the city but he has they've fallen in love so they weren't supposed to be in love they've had two children together Norma and this guy and his name is um Polioni 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, and that's happened before the opera starts. Okay, got it. Then he's um with his best friend. Sorry, I'm making this more confusing than it needs no, to be. Then he's with his best friend and he's like, he's not in love with the mother of his children anymore. He's fallen in love with another young novice priestess. Mm-hmm. So basically, Norma um is there praying. She sings Custodiva. The Romans arrive and she realizes that she's not going to be able to like kill her beloved and she's not going to be able to like betray him but she also like wants to be true to her people because she's a high priestess of these people and is this um, what she's singing about in Castadiva or yeah yeah she's or okay. she's not singing about the like torment yet she's singing about like give me peace blah 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 oh so that's just like a prayer that's much. just a prayer that's okay, just a nice it. prayer great yeah so then her lover, Polione, has been called back to Rome. Basically, then the young priestess turns up and Norma's like, oh, my husband or my lover is going back to Rome. And she's talking about her love affair. And the young priestess starts being like, oh, I'm in love too. And Norma works out that it's the same person and she's had a suspicion for a little while and she's like oh no but basically then norma is like i'm gonna kill my children (gasps) so that when he leaves they're not living in disgrace without a father oh and then she realizes that she can't kill her kids because she loves them too much i mean that's reasonable and then she calls the young priestess in and she says take my kids go to rome with polione and say that you're like in love and they're your kids and um leave and she's like no I'm not gonna do this like I don't want to break up a family I'm not into this blah 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 so then Norma's like oh so you are really my friend and then they like mend their friendship basically a lot of other stuff happens and then Norma (laughs) great summary (laughs) (laughs) sounds like every other opera that ever existed as well (laughs) basically a load of other crap happens and then it's the end and someone gets murdered okay so basically her husband like kind of betrays betrays her a little bit and then um she threatens to kill both their children and his young lover to punish him and then the occupiers come in and say that someone has to a guilty priestess must die and so then she's just like okay kills me and she climbs on a funeral pyre and like is burnt to death whoa there pickle that escalated quickly (laughs) (laughs) i love how vague and broad it got in the middle like he betrays her her a little bit like chill you know um so yeah what do we learn what's the sort of moral of the story here i think it's like (laughs) is that be transparent about who you're in love with and if you sense problems in your relationship, bring them up earlier rather than later. Don't kill your kids. Probably <laughs> is the other one. Don't kill your children. Don't and don't your use kids. your children as bait. Pawns in a game. Pawns in a game. Don't yeah. climb onto funeral pyres unless you very much intend to burn yourself. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, yeah. that one I feel is less of an everyday learning. Not your everyday issue. I have a question though. Is yeah, is there you know the Casta Diva obviously is that famous aria from that. But is the opera worth watching? <laughs> like if someone got given um, tickets to it, should they go? That's my. I question reckon for you. it would be because I do think that Bellini has lots of intricacy and you know he really does marry, and you can hear that in Casta Diva. But like he really does marry like 
incredible emotion and plot and drama at the same time. It's a little, it's obviously a ridiculous plot, but um, it is his most popular opera. And it's also like one of the staples of the repertoire. And I think usually those things are there for a reason. It kind of languished a little bit. And then both Maria Callas and Joan Sutherland. Right. Totally in the 1950s, like brought it back to the stage. And the reason really is because singers like dramatic sopranos who have amazing flexibility and when I say flexibility I mean like the ability to sing lots of notes very rapidly it's an amazing vehicle for them to show their range on stage so I do think that like as a piece if you're gonna go see someone who's an incredible singer it's probably one of the best things that you can go see them tackle so um that's great advice then. yeah that's, that's perfect I, d- I don't think i've i haven't ever personally seen it but i think i definitely would buy tickets if i could so that's great if you if you know an amazing soprano is in that cast mm-hmm. go see it because yeah, it's like exactly. nothing else you've ever seen exactly That classical podcast so we go from one complicated opera plot kelly to another complicated oh, opera pop. Dearie um, me. This one, um, my second choice is Ipuritani. Um, it's okay. set in England around 1650 in Plymouth. You say Plymouth, right? Plymouth. Not Plymouth. So. Plymouth, Not yeah. Plymouth. No, no, and not, not Leicester Plymouth. Square. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's set in England around 1650 in Plymouth, not Plymouth, as <laughs> I thought when I first moved. Basically, this is also very confusing but it's basically about this man called ricardo is promised to a woman called elvira but elvira loves someone else but and her father is like not forcing her to marry against her will because that was a thing that was done those days and so like people are saying to ricardo give it up man like she's not gonna marry you she goes to the extent of saying like i'd rather die than marry ricardo Um, (laughs) and her uncle, uh, who she's telling this to says, don't worry. I've told your dad, you can marry your lover, Arturo, but Arturo is a royalist, which is not what the Puritans want. It's like a very confusing scenario where then Arturo learns that the queen, and because he's a royalist, the queen is a prisoner in the castle. And so again, it's like this complicated thing of like, but I will sacrifice myself for you and, you know, (laughs) and I won't marry you and all this. And it is renowned for having a very, very complicated plot. So unlike Norma, where I just got myself in knots trying to tell you something, (laughs) I've just decided to say it's incredibly complicated. So I've picked an aria. It's kind of like an aria with bits from other characters singing um but it's okay. basically um it's from early in the opera and it's Arturo and all his mates like so his squires coming into the hall he's joined by Elvira and some other people and other people around the castle and basically it's one of those scenes where everyone gets to the bottom of the stairs and Arturo is like I'm super happy isn't life grand and then everyone like pipes up and says yeah how great's life So it translates as, in you, beloved, love, lead me in secrecy and tears. Now it guides me to your side. So it's basically a happy piece. But it is also, again, one of those pieces that I felt like 
I knew, but I didn't know where from. Like, I'm sure oh, I've heard it okay. elsewhere. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I just thought it was something to listen to. So here we go. What did you think? I think I'm just loving all this Pav action today. And I just, I'm so happy. But um, yeah, I know what you mean about kind of recognizing that from somewhere. I have no idea where. Exactly. It's just one of those arias that just kind of floats around. Right. You kind of hear it here and there over the years, but you don't really know what it's from. And now I know what it's from. So I feel like if someone recognizes it or if it has been used in something famous, like, let me know. But I Mm. really can't think what it was. It Mm. just feels. Yeah. And so remind me, what is he singing about? It's basically the beginning when we're setting the scene of him being the good guy and him being the one that everyone wants her to be with. Yeah. Um, but that's all I've got really to say on Bellini. Um, I think there's still more to discover. Um, I think I've only just scratched the surface. So if you're passionate about this, do email, let me know, uh, reach out because I'm still exploring, still on my still Bellini journey. And I'm going to make a cocktail too in honor of him. Cheers. That classical podcast. So that was our episode on two Italian cheeky chappies, Leon Cavallo <laughs> and Bellini. I also forgot to mention the most important piece of information about Leon Cavallo, which was his moustache is out <laughs> of this world. I want to say out of this like universe, um, galaxy even. It's ridiculous. And I'll put a picture oh, of it. You've got to put Twitter. something on Instagram or Twitter because I like, got to see that. Do you know? It's like Dali times 12 is what oh, i would say Kelly, is that you are painting so, a picture you know get excited about that but no um thank you so much for listening you know we hope you've enjoyed these kind of bits and bobs from these operas we know opera isn't everyone's cup of tea um mm-hmm. but i feel like especially the arias we've shared they are just like bangers so like we really do hope you've enjoyed them if you have enjoyed this episode Sasha, where can they reach us? Break it down. You can reach us in all the ways. Our email is thatclassicalemail at gmail.com. We are on all the socials. So Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just type in That Classical Podcast and I'm sure we'll be popping up in that little Mm -hmm. search bar. Um, And do come and tell us what you thought of the episode because we love hearing from you. It really makes our day. Absolutely. And if you want to explore the music we've used in this episode and in past episodes, we also have a Spotify playlist where you can find a big old playlist. It's like 10 hours long. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and also, if you fancy it, please do give us a review on your podcast platform. We really, really appreciate hearing from you on there. Absolutely. And all those details are in our show notes. So if you couldn't absorb all that information, like I often can't at the end of a week, um, just scroll <laughs> down or to the side or wherever your notes are hidden on your podcast player and all the details are there. There they shall be. And otherwise, (laughs) take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.